morning, if you would, grab your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter number 3. This morning, as you remember, we have been studying the book of Hebrews, but this morning we have to just look over a couple verses, about two verses in chapter number 3 this morning. <laughs> this morning, if you'll notice, I'm speaking a little, like I got a little bit of a wheeze. It's been strange. I don't have the coronavirus, but if you remember uh, the last week or so, we hadn't had church. But the my, my lungs and my voice and diaphragm and all those fancy things are like an organ that has to be worked out. So I've got a little bit of cobwebs this morning. And probably by the end of the sermon, I probably won't have a voice. But I'm going to use all I can for the glory of God this morning. This morning we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They are divine, not human in origin. Now I know I say that every time we meet. It's because I'm drilling it into your heart and mind on why we believe the Bible. And I'm excited to know that sometimes when I'm preaching and I'm quoting that, that I look down and some of you are actually quoting it with me. And I encourage you to do that. Here at Riverside, we believe in sola scriptura, which means the Scriptures and the Scriptures alone. Here at Riverside, we believe in soli fide, that's Latin, it means faith and faith alone. We here at Riverside believe in sola Christos, it's Latin, and it means Christ and Christ alone. We here at Riverside believe in sola gracia, a Latin phrase that means grace and grace alone. We here at Riverside believe in soli deo gloria, a Latin phrase that means God receives the glory, the glory glory alone. If you would open your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter number 3, verse number 12. If you remember the last time we met, we spoke about how Jesus was greater than Moses, that He's a greater high priest. We spoke about how He told us that He is an apostle and a high priest of our confession. We saw how Hebrews would consider the high priest the pinnacle of earthly worship and an apostle to a Christian is the pinnacle of heavenly sin. We see here that that Jesus is greater than any apostle and He's greater than any high priest. That's my high priest. That's my apostle, Jesus Christ, this morning. We see that God tells us in chapter number 3 that there will be rest for God's people. Now many people have speculated and they they debated for years. People much smarter than me or you this morning. Commentaries and and theologians have argued who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's important to know who wrote it because then you'll know who they're writing it to. Well, we know that Hebrews is written to Hebrews. They're written to people who were actually formerly Jewish but now they have been converted to Christianity. And during the first century or any time from the point of 70 A.D. on to the point of 100 A.D. there's this thing called lapsy. Lapsy is when those who were actually Hebrews have been persecuted and they have been tormented and tortured and they've denied Jesus Christ. Now the apostle, whoever wrote Hebrews, I personally believe by just just studying that the apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. Some say Apollos. But we know that the ultimate penman of Hebrews is the Holy Spirit. These are God's words in print that the author is writing to Hebrews who are on the teetering, they're on the fence, they're struggling with the pressures of the culture and they're thinking about denouncing Christ because they're thinking about their families they're thinking about their property 
And now they need to be encouraged not to give up the faith, to turn away from the things that are holy and righteous and go back to ceremonies, going back to circumcision, going back to to, to all kinds of things that were only foreshadowing to what the Old Testament tells us are pointing to Jesus in the New Testament. So we look in Hebrews chapter number 3, verse number 12. Here the author tells us, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Here the author is saying, Take concern. Don't neglect the things of God. He tells us, Take care. That we should care about our faith. That we don't put our faith into cruise control. I don't know about you, but I love a good cruise control. Whenever I'm going to, I don't care if I'm just going to Walmart. I'll put it on cruise control and I can rest my lazy foot. But there's nothing wrong with doing that in your car. But when you do that in your life and you do that in your Christianity, you'll find yourself lacking. You'll find yourself neglecting the things that are holy. You'll find yourself missing church. And the thing about missing church is the more you miss church, the less you miss church. Do do you understand what I'm saying theologically? I I know that's a fancy way of saying the more you miss church, bless the Lord all His soul. She, She knows what I need. The more you miss church, the less you'll miss church. The less you'll miss gathering with the saints. The less you'll miss singing. Singing praises to His holy name. The less you'll miss praying in corporate prayer. You've heard the old phrase or the old adage or the old parable where the preacher met the man with the fireplace. He hadn't been to church in a long time. See, this... This parable is kind of outdated because not many people have par- they don't have many fireplaces. But you'll get the point. He visits the church member who hadn't been to church in a long time, and he says, "Hello, pastor." And he comes on in, and they sit in front of the fire. After sitting there quietly for a while, the pastor gets up and takes one of the irons and pulls a coal away from the rest of the fire and sits back down. They both sit quietly, and they watch that ember grow cold. The pastor looks at his watch and says, I must be going. The church member says, thank you for the sermon. He walks into the door and says, I'll be there Sunday. What exactly does he mean? Well, if you don't understand, it means to be apart from the body means you will die. Using the adage that you probably would understand, using our own biology, our own bodies, if you were to cut off your pinky, fling it to the side, which will die? The body or the pinky? We are parts of the body. We're members of the body. Different parts of the body. The part that's separated is the part that dies. There's a lot who need to be hearing this sermon today, but they're at home because it was too foggy. They're at home because it's going to be 80 degrees today. I don't want to waste it in church. We're only here for an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. If that's too much time to spend with God's people, oh, Wendy, you don't want to go to heaven because that's for a long time. Amen. Somebody preach it. He says, take care. We're meticulous about our vehicles. We take care of them. We're, some of us care about our bodies. We might even jog once in a while. We're, we take care of our homes. We take care of our children. But do we take care of our faith? Do we spend time in God's Word? It was recently asked to a theologian. 
Is reading my Bible once or twice a day enough? He promptly said no. No. Now he didn't elaborate because it's not enough. Read your Bible. Take care. Here, the author says, take care, brothers. Least there be any of you with an evil heart. An unbelieving heart. How do you grow your faith? How do you have a believing heart? By reading His Word. Saturating your mind with His resume. If you want to believe God, believe what He's already done. He's not a respecter of persons. He was dead. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He danced with the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. He was with Moses. He was with Joshua. He's with Jacob. He will be with you. Take care. Don't simply put your life on cruise control, neglecting such a great salvation is what the author tells us. Because your heart will naturally grow unbelieving. The things pulling and tearing at you. Things vying for your attention. Things that say, live for me. Do this and you will have a huge payoff. Those things lie to you. Yes, it's good to be concerned about your health. Yes, it's good to be concerned about your career and where your finances will end up. How you will retire. Those things are good to be concerned about. But ultimately, ultimately, your faith is where you find your identity. Your hope and your strength is found in Christ. Do not neglect this thing. Do not neglect. Because your heart will grow unbelieving. And naturally your hearts are evil. He says it will lead you to fall away from the living God. Church, the worst thing that could happen to you is not that you, you, you lose your limbs. Not that you're bedridden your entire life from this point on. The worst thing that could happen to you is not that you lose all your property, your business goes down the drain, you lose all your finances. The worst thing that could happen to you is not putting your loved ones in the ground. The worst thing that could happen to you is not losing your senses like you can't see or you can't hear or speak anymore. The worst thing that could happen to you is not COVID-19. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you fall away from a living God. We can even read in Romans that He simply turns you over to your desires. That God beckons you and calls to you. He holds out His arms to a stiff-necked people every day. And you choose sin over following Him. And He simply turns you over. He gives you exactly what you want. You want that idol? He says, go at it. And He won't convict you anymore. He won't bother you anymore. He won't pull at your heart. He won't make you feel guilty and convict you. Because Christian, if you want to be miserable, if you want to forfeit your happiness and your joy, live in sin. 
Truly, if you want to be miserable because a Christian is never happy in sin. A Christian will never be happy in adultery. A Christian will never find joy in pornography. A Christian will never find fulfillment in lying and thieving and embezzlement. A Christian will never be full of happiness and fullness of joy forevermore by holding grudges. You only find that in a living God. So those lies that are whispered in your ear, those promises, oh, it would be so wonderful not to forgive and you should be offended. They will not fulfill you. That unbridled lust that you just let run rampant in your heart, nobody knows about it but you and God. That's enough. That lust says it will fulfill you and satisfy you. That extramarital affair, that homosexuality, that heterosexuality, it don't really matter. It's the lust of the flesh. They will not satisfy you. And you'll get to the point where God says, have at it. Oh, what a horrible place to be. That God simply turns you over. But God's a loving God. God won't do that to me. He loves me. But you don't love Him. Because if you did, you'll be killing sin before it kills you. I don't get a lot of amens when I preach like this. But then again, I preach like this all the time. And that's alright. Because it sure is true. And I cannot leave you neutral about the words of God. Either you're going to hate your sin or you're going to hate me. And I'd rather be faithful. We read here, he says, take care. Or you'll fall away from the living God. In verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be harmed, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We see in verse 13 as we unpack it together. That we are to exhort one another every day, every day, to encourage one another. Encourage one another. I don't know about y'all, but life is hard. And we live in the best time to ever be alive. But yet still, we deal with sin. This morning, I gathered my family. We went to McDonald's. Did you know we can sit in line at Golden Arches and they hand us food out the window? In history's past, people woke up and went days without eating. But we live in the best time. God has truly blessed us. But yet we still struggle with sin. Maybe if we sat in that line, we complain like the line is taking too long. How quick do you want your egg McMuffin? It's a glory to God that you're even getting it. That you even have money in your pocket to buy it. That your vehicle don't overheat in the, the drive-thru. Praise the Lord. That your window rolls down. Glory to God. My window's finally fixed. I can go in straight now to go get it a McMuffin. Praise the Lord. It's the little things, y'all. you got to give Him glory in the little things because you ain't going to give Him in the big. Amen? D.L. Moody was a famous preacher back in the 19th century. And he always taught, give God glory in all things. All things give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him credit. However, in the afternoon one day on his way home in the slums of London, a robber came up to him and pulled out a switchblade. 
And he robbed D.L. Moody of all the money he had. Later, a cynical preacher, okay, D.L., you always talk about being thankful and giving God glory. How can you give Him glory in this circumstance? He took all your money and threatened your life. Surely you must be jaded. D.L. smiled with a tear in his eye. He said, I give God glory that I had the money to give Him. I give God glory that He didn't take my life. But most of all, listen, listen, saint, most of all, I give Him glory that I want the one doing the robbing. Give Him glory today. Don't neglect. Take care in your faith. Least your heart grow cold, unbelieving. Mm, this is good. This is why I'm having mine. This is good. I, I didn't have this in my notes because you know what? I don't have notes. I simply read the text and depend on God to deliver the message. He says it's called today that we give Him glory and we take concern in our faith and we do it today. That we don't put it off. That we will get serious about God tomorrow. Maybe Monday. Maybe Wednesday. Oh, we can't do it Wednesday. We've got a business meeting. Maybe next Sunday. He says today. That your concern and your growth in your faith should be took up today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then why did the author put it like that? That we should take concern of our faith today. That our hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because when we keep on sinning, our hearts deceive us because of the deceitfulness of sin. We believe that God will tarry just a little bit longer with our lying, with our idol worship. You know, living for things other than God. That He will tarry just a, that He puts up and tolerates our sin just a little bit longer. Sin is deceitful. At first, you tolerate just a little sin, and before you know it, like the book of James, it's conceived and it brings forth birth and it delivers unto death. The greatest ships that the earth has ever seen, mighty ships that go into the ocean. Did you know they can sink? And all it takes is one little hole in that hole to sink a mighty ship. Are you leaky today? Are you a leaky Christian? What do you mean a leaky Christian? Well, there was an evangelist who came and he was preaching at a church and he gave an altar call. And a rough ragged muffin in the back came forward and was coming to the altar at the altar call when the preacher said, will you come forward and give your heart to Jesus and serve Him all your days? The man stumbles down the aisle and an older lady in the right hand corner says, don't pray for Him, He's a leaky Christian. He said, what do you mean? That means whenever God fills him with His presence, He leaks out and eventually goes back to what He was doing before. He's been saved 17 times, preacher. Now I know that was a little funny and I want you to understand what I'm saying is this, that we are to take care of this gospel that's been presented to us. That we are not to treat it, flip it, to be fickle about it. He tells us to do it today or our hearts 
will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Oh, you're 50, 60, you're 17, you're 18 years old. You got plenty of time. You need to sow your wild oats. You need to live your life to the fullest. YOLO. That's what they, the young kids did call it. They, they don't say that anymore because you're a dork if you do. But it means you only live once. Deceitfulness of sin. In verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He says that we'll hold on to this confidence. You've heard the analogy of I said that mama holding the infant in her arm. The infant might think, I'm holding on to mommy. I'm holding on to her blouse. But truly, the infant hangs in the arms of the mother because of the mighty strong arms of the mother, not because of the infant. God holds on to you and keeps you. And we'll talk about the perseverance of the saints here shortly. But it's truly God's grip on us. But isn't it cause you to have fear and to shudder in your soul to imagine God simply letting go of you, allowing you to do whatever you set your heart to do? He says here, He puts it on us that we are to hold to the original confidence firm to the end. In verse 15, the author tells us, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He starts to do a running commentary on Psalms 95, 8-11. He's building the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament because I remind you, he's writing to Hebrews, those who are caught up in ceremonies, those who are caught up in religious rigor, earning their place into heaven by pleasing God, by doing this and this and this, checking off the boxes. But now they've turned those things over to a better high priest. They've turned those things over to grace. But He tells them today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. What's He mean, the rebellion? Well, we covered this the last chapter. The rebellion back in the book of Exodus, where they would not believe God, where He split the Red Sea, that His Shekiah glory was a cloud by day and a fire by night that led them into the wilderness, that He fed them by the manna that rained down from heaven to feed their bellies. He caused the quail to be outside the camp to fill their stomachs. He caused water to flow from a dry rock to quench their thirst. And yet they would not believe God. Is it said of us? Do we not believe God? Do we not honor Him and trust Him? Do we not take care of our faith to nourish our relationship with God? Are we too busy making a living? Too busy chasing our dreams? following our heart's desires, doing what we want to do. Today, if you hear His voice, today, if you feel conviction in your heart, Lord, I repent of my prayerlessness. Lord, I repent that I'm a practical atheist. Someone who walks through the days without crying out to You. Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent of using my hands for idle things. I repent of my feet 
going places that they should not go. Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent of not studying Your words. Lord, I repent for not hiding Your Word in my heart that I don't sin against You. Do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. We read the story of the Exodus and we almost laugh at that generation who died in the wilderness. Why couldn't they believe? It's obvious before them that there is a living God. But if they were to read our chapter of this generation, what would they say? Why won't they believe? Is there not a God? Will He not carry you through? Will He not hold on to you? Will He forget your name? Will He cast you into the darkest valley and not walk with you? Will He leave you or forsake you? What will they read? Verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, left, led by Moses? The author wants to remind us of the rebellion of those who would not believe. It was the ones that came out of Egypt. The ten plagues, they saw the ten plagues. How it shook the economy and drove the most mightiest nation of that time to its knees. They saw the wonderful works of God. Yet they would not believe. This morning you opened your eyes. Maybe you were looking at the ceiling. Your feet touched the floor. And you made your way to your bathroom or down the hall to get something for breakfast. Maybe you glanced out the window and saw all of creation. And you noticed there was no dripping on your head. Maybe there was a little draft in your house or maybe it was a little warm. But all those are the blessings of God and proves there is a God. Because He should have killed you in your sleep. But yet He gave you another day. We saw where He says, the deceitfulness of sin, the deceitfulness of sin tells you that you'll have another decade. That you can go on sinning. And He's crying out to you. The Holy Spirit is convicting your heart right now to repent. Cry out for grace and cry out for mercy. Preacher, why do you always preach about repentance? We're Christians. This is a Christian church. People been coming here longer than you've been alive, preacher. The reason I preach repentance is because we've sinned. And I know it ain't popular for us to examine our hearts. I know it won't give me no envy, no Emmy Awards. Stellar awards or dove awards. I will not be applauded by the world, but for the Christian who examines their hearts and it causes them to walk a little closer to Jesus because they see the deceitfulness of their own hearts. They'll say, Thank you, Lord, for sending a preacher to tell me the truth and not sugarcoat nothing. Because sugar and salt look the same until you taste it. One will give you diabetes, the other will preserve you. He says that their bodies fell in the wilderness in verse 17. They sinned. And in verse 18, they did this. This is what God did in verse 18. And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? 
We see where in the book of Deuteronomy we're taught not to swear by the moon, stars, and the skies. That we are called not to swear by these earthly things. That our yes should be yes and our no should be no. We don't have to swear to anything. That our word should hold up itself. But here God swears by His name that they will not enter into His rest. Being a, a earthly rest. The promised land. But there are those who are here today that He swears by His name that He will not cease doing you good. Which one will drive you closer to Jesus? Because I present them to you today. That to the point where you will sin and God will simply let you go and let you sin all you want and you'll bust hell wide open. Or there are those who still sin. Who are pursuing righteousness and holiness. Who battle sin day by day, minute by minute. And God swears that He will not cease to do them good. Where do you find yourself? Are you angry about the one that He simply turns over? For simply, they get justice. That's what they deserve. God never does anybody wrong. He don't do anybody wrong. There's nobody in hell who don't deserve to be in hell. But everybody in heaven don't deserve to be there. So that tells me He's a gracious God. He's merciful. He's kind. Oh, He's good. Even when I'm not. Where do you find yourself today? Is your heart hardened? Is it on the way to be hardened? I do hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that He tenderizes your heart. Hard words make soft hearts. Soft words make hard hearts. He swore they will not enter His rest. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You know, I get asked quite often, what's the unforgivable sin? I don't know if people want to know it so they can get as close as they could to it to find out what it is. Is pornography the unforgivable sin? Or is abortion, because I've had abortions or I, I encourage people to do abortions, is uh, homosexuality the unforgivable sin? Is lust or anger bearing a grudge the unforgivable sin, preacher? Is idol worship? Is that the unforgivable sin? Is dishonoring the Sabbath day? I didn't go to church because it was rainy. I didn't go to church because it was sunny. Is dishonoring your parents the unforgivable sin? Is theft? Cheating on my taxes the unforgivable sin? Taking something that don't belong to me is that the unforgivable sin preacher? Is envy counting other people's blessings while not counting my own? Is that the unforgivable sin preacher? No, those are not the unforgivable sins. They're not. There's people in heaven who committed murder, but God forgave them when they repented. There's people in heaven who lusted and God forgave when they repented. There are people in heaven who were envious and anger and bitter and God forgave them when they repented. But the only unforgivable sin that there is, there is one. 
It's not voting Republican or Democrat. It's not having white skin or black skin. It's not supporting police officers. It's not not wearing a mask or wearing a mask. It's not supporting who's the president now or who was the president. That's not the unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is unbelief. God, I just won't believe You. I just won't believe You. That You are God and You reign over all the heavens. I won't believe You when You say You'll forgive me of my sins because I can't even forgive myself. God, I I don't believe You. Tonight or this morning if I were to walk up to You and I've never met You, I said, what's Your name? What's Your name is? What's Your name? And You told me Your name. And I laughed and said, I don't believe You. No, really, that's my name. No, I don't believe it. That ain't your name. Your name's Junebug. No, that's, that's really my name. You'll be offended. Some of y'all be one borderline rage. Y'all, you calling me a liar? Even if you pulled out your ID and showed me. See right here, there's my name. Oh, you could have had that printed up over at Staples. I don't believe you. That ain't your name. You would be offended. Because... I'm calling you a liar. You're untrustworthy. I don't believe a word you say. I wouldn't believe you if your tongue came notarized. I don't believe you. In essence, that's what you say to God. God, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you came to set the captive free. I don't believe that you came to set at liberty those who are in prison. I I don't believe that you came and substituted yourself for a sinner like me. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you called me to repentance. I don't believe it. I don't believe that you even care what I do. I just don't believe you. Unbelief. An unbelieving heart. So we said that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Do you believe today? A lot of times we can learn about people by what they do. Because what they do is really what they believe. What they do is their theology and action. If you believe that there is a God and you will give an account for your life, you stop shacking up. If you really believe there is a God and you have to give an account for your life, you'll give forgiveness and mercy. If you really believe there is a God who sees all things, you'll stop lusting. Stop looking at pornography. If you really believe that you'll give an account for your works, your actions and your thoughts, and the meditations of your heart, you'll dig into God's Word and saturate your soul with so saith the Lord. If you really believe it. Now I know there's a lot of people at church and we see them. And they say they love Jesus. They say it. But their actions speak louder. Now it's one thing to be a Christian and be in sin. Because that happens. Ain't nobody here flawless. But the thing about a Christian is when they sin, they repent running to Jesus. A person who is just a tear that grows among the wheat. They look like the Christian. Did you know Judas looked like a preacher? 
spoke like a preacher, but he was unconverted, but he was among the twelve disciples. He was even a preacher. I bet he could shuck it down. Blah, preach out the organs playing. People are hollering, money flying. Babies in the air, chandelier swinging. I bet he could shuck it down. But he was unconverted. He really didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah who died for sinners. I ask you today, are you playing the part of Peter? Who did deny Jesus? He did. He stumbled and he fought. But Jesus prayed for him as a high priest. And God restored him and saved him. Or are you Judas who would neglect Jesus? Simply sell him out for 30 pieces of silver until you run headlong into your own destruction. Preacher, I don't believe anything you're saying today. Well, why are you feeling so convicted? Why is the Holy Spirit working on you right now? Pinpointing whatever your sin is. Your sin is different than my sin. We may have different sins, but we only have one Savior, one mediator, one who will save us and redeem us. Don't feel this morning that you are too dirty for Jesus to save. There are no stretch marks on grace. He don't almost save you. He saves you to the uttermost according to Hebrews chapter 7. This morning, if you hear the voice of the Lord, not the voice of the preacher, I know you hear my scratchy voice. I, I know physically you hear it. But do you hear the Spirit speaking into your soul, crying to you, repent. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Whatever's causing you to be pulled to ignore and neglect the things of God. Whatever it is, repent. Is it your prayerlessness? Is it your own ingenuity? Is it your own gut and your own zeal and your own ambition? My boys, when they were younger, they would tell me, Daddy, I do it by myself. I do it by myself. Usually they end up on the ground crying. Their son's bleeding. But we do the same thing. We, we believe that as we mature, in Christ, we get groaning. Jesus, I could do this by myself. I don't need you in my bedroom. I don't need you in my heart or in my mind and the meditations and my thoughts. I don't need you. I'm grown. I progressed. That's not how it works. We lean on Him all the more as we mature in Jesus. We find out how weak we are. We pray more. We cry out more because we take a good long look at what we've done and what we've accomplished and see that we've broken everything around us and even broken ourselves, broken our promises, broken our vows and our covenants, and know that He's never broken anything but His Son on our account. So this morning, take care. Take care to not neglect these things. To fall in love with Jesus. I do hope this morning that the embers have been stirred in your heart. Your soul is aflame. To fall in love with this Jesus. And hear the warnings. Well, preacher, you told me that God will never forsake me or leave me. But we still hear the warnings. To go back to the story of the baby in the arms of that mother. Imagine them standing on a ledge. And the baby looks down and sees terrible rocks off the edge of the cliff. And the mother explains to the child, be careful and take care, little one. Because if you neglect this grip, you'll be dashed to pieces on the rock. We've seen the warnings. 
We heard to be careful and be care- to take care. Not that God will cause us to slip or He will let go of us, but that the grip of the Holy One who holds us is all the more sweeter, knowing that He saves us and He keeps us. The grip of God is wonderful. Take care not to neglect this. Let us bow our heads and pray this morning.